Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Connor McCaskill. <laughs> and I'm David Altizer here in a brand new set environment, if you're watching the video. In fact, this is completely different. Yeah. Because this is not the traditional Golden Hour podcast set because it's gone now yeah well you moved <laughs> i moved yeah this is your apartment <laughs> yeah welcome to my apartment um we will probably get a proper set figured out here pretty soon yeah we got uh, a lot of work ahead of me but you still gotta like unpack all your stuff and <laughs> yeah. get things sorted and all that fun not fun stuff call becky and chris for uh studio inspiration mm -hmm. you got a nice space we're uh, you're gonna build out your garage for a set and that's mm -hmm. it's it it'll be cool if we you yeah. know, design it well yeah and you know what connor it's actually not as far as the gps says because really um when i left my house it said 45 minutes to get here and then about three minutes, three or four minutes later, because I got all the green lights to go onto the exit, it just instantly shaved off 15 minutes. And it was like 30 minutes. I was huh. like, oh, wow. So with good luck. Yeah, with good luck. I don't have. But I see, can we, be there a lot quicker. But see, we do have the freedom uh, as self-employed people to go during off hours, you know. It's true. During non-rush hour. In so, fact, we'd be dumb to be do anything else <laughs> <laughs> we'd be biggie dummies if we didn't yeah biggie dumb all right so shall we begin today's show yeah let's uh Episode what's, what's 100, going on 175 yeah 175 what's going on dave well the real question is what's going on with you okay the r6 mark ii is now fully in your possession mm -hmm. i believe you actually are a, a, an official owner of it because i heard that you purchased it from Soundstripe. Yes, I, I'm not borrowing it anymore. I, I paid for it. So um, the R6 Mark II, I used it um, this past week for a couple different things. Nothing too crazy. I was just shooting some B-roll with it. Mm -hmm. uh, we were also using C70s for the live stream setup because I know my R6 won't work for that yeah. anymore, which is fine. But um, one other nitpick that I found with the R6 Mark II was it i mean and it is a small nitpick but i don't know it's worth saying worth mentioning i haven't um, heard anybody else say this so when i uh was shooting with it i got you know the battery went down to about half and i was like oh, i'll just go ahead and switch out the battery and as i was switching out the battery something interesting was happening right and i was like catch i was like oh shoot so ejected the battery popped in the new one turned it on mm -hmm. and it like like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. It wasn't turning on. I was like, uh, okay. So I switched it off, waited a second and switched it on. And then it turned on and I got the footage that I needed to do. And then I was just kind of sitting there and playing with it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like for some reason, at least with the one I have, maybe I just have really bad luck when it comes to cameras, who knows? Um, but when I pop in a new battery, it almost needs like just a couple seconds to like, understand that there's a battery in it and that it can turn on um so yeah it's just a little tiny nitpick if if you're popping out a battery and you need to turn on the camera quick it may not want to huh. so what you're saying is it takes it just takes longer than what you're used to to turn on yeah so like with the canon r5 i just pop out a battery turn it on or even the c70 just you know put in a battery turn it on it comes on immediately and this camera just seems to take just a little bit of time mm -hmm. to calibrate i guess i'm really not sure hmm. why it wasn't turning on let us know in the comments if you know what's going on there with the old r60 yeah um, r6 mark ii but it it's it should be pretty zippy it's got the uh digit x processor which is the their top end processor so. yeah i might need to just i haven't checked it may need an update um yeah. and that could potentially fix it so if that fixes it i'll let you guys know but that's just what I discovered okay. using it. Let it be known. I think it's important to mention these things as we discover them since there may be some listeners who own those uh, cameras and need to know that. So the old R6 coming yeah. in hot from Canon. Yep. We do have some uh, big Canon news today. That's our you know main topic of the day. So we will be saving that if you're here for that, uh, for our main topic. Um, but I want to... Um, bring up a comment that was mentioned a little bit of a follow-up from our last show episode 174 mm -hmm. and this comes from a uh, listener alpaco films who hello alpaco how films. we doing <laughs> uh i just want to say thank you so much for being a fan we we see this guy's comment almost on every video yeah so tweets out each episode 
and we really really appreciate you man this it's really kind of you to be such a fan and uh to share uh the show so we greatly appreciate that but he mentioned that um you know we were talking about the new m2 pro and the m2 max which seemed like wonderful laptops but there was one caveat with that that the base uh storage is actually slower than um if you were to go up to like a terabyte or something and I mentioned 256 gigabyte. Well, he was saying that Max Tech, which is a, a YouTuber, uh, Max Yuryev, who we actually met at NAB a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, but he has a channel called Max Tech. He did a, a review and he found that the 512 gigabyte is slower as well on the than, than the M1 Pro uh, base model. So yeah, so basically, if you're buying a M2 Pro or M2 Max laptop, I think the Max. I don't know. I think the Max comes with a faster one, but I don't know. I would just hope so. Maybe go watch Max Tech's video just to make sure. Because um, if you're spending that kind of money, you you want to be sure that you're getting you know the best you can. And if it's only you know only, but I think jumping up to a terabyte is maybe three or four hundred bucks, which is a lot. But it's it's storage that you will use, especially as a video person. I, I would I would recommend getting a terabyte regardless. It's just mm-hmm. nice to have that extra space. Yeah, you never know when you're going to need it, or in a pinch in an emergency, you forgot. Oh shoot, I don't have any hard drives on me for some reason. It happens. Yeah, you needed to dump a card or back something up, and, and or you just want to edit straight off your machine. It's just nice to have that extra space if you can mm-hmm. swing the extra cash. Absolutely. I mean, I have a four terabyte and it's filled up all the time. I only have like 30 gigs left on it. <laughs> well, I have a one terabyte and I have like 700 gigs free. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, my problem is because I have so much storage, I'm like, oh, I don't need a hard drive at all. Well, you know, it's funny. So I never use hard drives. You know, what's funny is I, I actually just checked today my storage and I, I had like, you know, like 400 gigs of available space. I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't think I really keep anything on here. So I went through, you know, storage, what's on my computer, found out, you know, it's like, wait a minute. It was just a bunch of your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of old. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I don't even know what it was like uh, Final Cut files. And I was like, I don't even remember being the one who edited this. I was like, I don't know why this is on. Some of it was Soundstripe stuff. That, what the heck? That's not, that's but maybe I did edit and I just I don't remember. But I was like, this is Dave's stuff. And so and it's old. Just get yeah. rid of it. Oh, I did. Yeah. It's gone. <laughs> if you need it, that's why I you, don't have it. That's why you freed up 200 gigs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, if you're listening and you haven't done a deep dive on your hard drive, take a look. You might be surprised where your storage is being used. Yeah, I think never know. one Final Cut file for some reason, I think it was because it was storing it in the library itself, which I would, you know, that always messes me up. But I think it was like 70 or 80 gigs for that one yeah. uh, Final Cut profile. Yeah, I, it's a useful feature, I guess. Um, I don't like it. Uh, I, I personally like the old school method, even though I've been a Final Cut user for, for years of putting all your, your footage and audio in folders that you categorize yourself in finder and then just essentially having a you know a project file but they call it a library yeah um and you you just uncheck you know import footage so if you uncheck it then it it's like you know a couple megabytes for a for a project what would be the purpose of storing it in the library itself like on the final cut file because to me it just feels like a lot of extra wasted space because it's already stored on a computer or a hard drive. And then it's also now being, I guess it's backed up maybe. No, the, uh, you're thinking of it actually uh, wrong. You're thinking of it like a professional, Okay. but um, the, it's designed for maybe a beginner or, or even myself. I'll do it intentionally because it's a quick turnaround thing or um, I don't even put, I, don't, I, don't, I won't even put anything in a, anything else. Hmm. So I just create a library and then I import from Final Cut inside of Final Cut and everything lives inside of that and that's it. Okay. And you can just copy, you can, you know, back that one folder up. So it's kind of nice because you can have all of your footage and all of your audio just stored in one thing rather than a bunch of folders. And then within Final Cut, it's labeled mm. and foldered within Final Cut. Mm. That sounds dangerous for some reason, but I guess you could just back up that one file. Well, it, that that file actually is not a file. It It's... It looks as though it's a file in Finder, but you can right-click and say show package contents. It's really just a folder. Mm. So if you right-click and say show package content, it'll actually show you all of the files inside of folders. So it's just packaged in a Final Cut wrapper. 
exactly. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. I, I don't think... Especially I'd... if you're a beginner and you don't understand how to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's a good way for people to just just import everything in there. It's that's it. You know, you don't need to know about all the folders and stuff, which is, which is truly an old fashioned way of doing it. If you think about like Apple photos, you know, you just kind of open up Apple photos and everything's just there. Mm-hmm. So people are used to that. If you, especially if you're a beginner and I think I, final cut is kind of a gateway drug into becoming a professional. Like if you're coming from iMovie, it's an easy transition, but then if you want to learn more and dive deeper, it's there. You know? I hate Apple photos. Like on the computer <laughs> specifically, on the phone, it's fine. On the computer, Apple Photos, especially when it was very aggressive, it was like always like, put your photos here, take it here. Would you you move them over here? We're just gonna do it anyways. Yeah. Like, leave me alone, okay? I just want to put do it you, on my wherever I want. Do you use Apple Photos as like your photo backup, or do you use Google Photos or anything? Uh, I have uh, iCloud storage, so yeah. my phone. So that, it is. So it's Apple Photos. It is Apple Photos. I just don't like it. I should use Google Photos. Google Photos is much, much better in terms of their organization and simplicity, I think. Um, but, you you know, you have to pay for it. And if you're going to pay for it anyways, it might as well pay for Apple because it's all just integrated into it. But Yeah, it was pretty, why, that's what I'm doing. It was so. pretty easy to do with Apple. It was just check yeah. and you're done. Creator music. That's our next topic uh, before we get to our main topic. And it's something I wanted to share because it's um, something new uh, on YouTube. Okay. And uh, you don't really know much about it. Mm-mm. Um so I got an email this morning from YouTube about it. Today is Thursday, February 9th, as we're recording this. And so I'll click into it. And this is a big deal because this is YouTube's first time doing something truly, um, well, let's just say it's going to shake things up in the music licensing world. So yeah, I do think this is a bit, a little bit of an interesting thing uh, f- for people like Musicbed, Artlist, Soundstripe, Epidemic Music. Mm-hmm. Because this, in a way, is a competitor to them, but then it can also help them in some ways as well get discovered. So um, is this a subscription thing that you have to pay for? Or is this just because you create content, you have access to it? The latter. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I have access to this on my second channel, my main channel, um, because uh, I, I don't know the prerequisites. I don't know if you need to be... I, I don't know all the details of like how I even have access to this. I just got an email that's there. It may mm-hmm. be because I have um, monetization turned on, maybe because I have a certain amount of subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but it is here and it might be, I, I, th- I, I think it's available to everybody. But um, what's interesting about it is it's baked right into to YouTube, but it has a whole UI and everything similar to Epidemic or whatever. You know, they have playlists. They have uh, sections for different moods. And what I love about it is it, the UI is actually way better than their traditional YouTube music uh, section that they've had for a long time. I, I just clicked a song, Moral of the City, Indie Alternative. And the waveform moral is really... Moral of the story, you mean? It's, <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? You said Moral of the City, which uh, cities don't have morals, let's be honest. <laughs> so yeah, so this song is called, this song is called Moral of the Story. Yeah. And I just clicked on it, and the waveform is here. And if you were watching the video, you could see my mouse is just scrubbing through, and I can quickly. Yeah, it seems responsive. Hop around. It's very responsive. Easy to use. I can favorite it. And then if I scroll over to the right, it says your rev- revenue sharing details. So you can click that, and it'll tell you what's going on. So you can use any duration of the song. It's supported in all region regions. You'll have partial monetization. And... Um, partial monetization unfortunately we can't currently provide a download for this track however eligible use of this track will default to revenue sharing you have a chance to preview videos monetization. yeah so i don't understand a lot of this to be Uh, honest so are they are they doing this thing with this art with these artists it's like hey if your song gets used by creators then they split the revenue they split the revenue with you and it's probably not a huge split towards them but Mm -hmm. the idea is is like well a few thousand plus mm-hmm. YouTubers could be using it. Therefore you will make money. Exactly. And it's free to me as a YouTuber. I don't have to subscribe to anything. It's just there. I download it. And if I'm okay with giving away, you know, half of my revenue, I'm not going to be flagged in any way, obviously, because it's tied into their YouTube system. Although um, but I then am... we have these other songs here from like real artists that you can buy for $30, you know, or whatever, which is interesting. Cause like to me, this doesn't sound 
that different from stuff you get off of, you know, Soundstripe. And at that point, you're only paying $15 a month for a subscription. And it's like unlimited use. This is a $29 fee to use this one song that we just heard, which is kind of a standard little electronic song. Which I'm assuming you could only use probably one time. Yeah, exactly. So you buy the license and then it, you know, you can use it for one song or mm-hmm. for one video. It expires in two years. Whoa. Does that mean, oh, it starts when you buy the license. When the license expired, video monetization terms and visibility may change. Wow. So that means that for only two years, you're getting monetization. So it's it's an interest. It doesn't seem very appealing, honestly. No. Uh, especially when you're only paying, you know, usually $15 a month is kind of the going rate right now for a subscription-based music service. Right. Um, I mean, it's cool that it exists, I guess. Um, I'm wondering how big their library even is. Well, that's the thing that I've I've heard that they're going to be working with music labels. They're also going to even be working with people like Soundstripe and others to include their library in this, in a way. Hmm. Um so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Right now, it seems a little clunky and expensive, to be honest. Well. Um, but some of these are free. Um, some aren't. Some are $50 wow. for one song. This person thinks a lot of themselves. Um, in fact, I saw one that was $1,000 when I was scrubbing through here. To there it is. This one. And I took a listen to it. I'm not going to play it because if this guy's charging a thousand for it, then he might come after. He us. might come after us. But I listened to it, and I don't even recognize the artist's name. No offense to that artist, and no offense to anybody who may know this person. But like, I didn't. I didn't think there was anything that special about it. Yeah. Like if it's a Taylor Swift song or a Justin Bieber song or whatever, like maybe sh- sure I get it. It's like you can't use it unless you pay me a thousand dollars. It's like well, okay, okay. I mean at a thousand might be cheap for Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um although I mean to be fair well, we're this, just talking about a YouTube video here. Yeah. And this is a beta. It literally says creator music beta. So mm-hmm. I mean who knows what they'll add or new features or something like that. But I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know how I feel about it. The partial monetization it's like just I would rather just have a music service. Yeah. Any type of music service would would really probably be better to use than this at the moment. But YouTube, aka Alphabet or Google, has a tendency to, you know, really feel things out, experiment, and then just attack. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they figure this out really well. Mm -hmm. And it could be a threat to all those other companies, honestly, because it's built into YouTube. You don't have to subscribe to anything. It's just there in the service that right. you're already using to upload videos. But if it's this clunky and this expensive, probably won't be used that much. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to use it <laughs> looking at it right now. So, <laughs> And it says some prices are set based on your channel's reach. Oh, so if you're Mr. Beast, you know, every song may be $1,000 or, or 10000 Way more, yeah. So... Um, it's there. I just wanted to alert the media. I think it's interesting. Um, it's interesting that YouTube's trying this. It makes sense to have it embedded into their service or their website. But I don't know. They, Google also has a tendency to kind of roll things out and then roll it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this may be a bit of a flop and they'd be like, eh, never mind. Just Let's just let third parties handle this. You know, Or they'll gauge it and then they'll come up with a better version later. Yeah. Too. Maybe. But yeah, that's creator music from YouTube. Interesting. So big canon news happened uh, yesterday um, as recording this. Yeah. The canon EOS R8 and the EOS R50. Yeah. Two new cameras. I think the R50 is probably the more interesting one in terms of, to us at least, um, because obviously this is a, hence the name R50, a replacement for the M50, Mm -hmm. but with an RF mount and some other nifty features. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, what I would have wanted a M50 to be in the first place, mm-hmm. which is uh, a fairly competent uh, 24 megapixel APS-C sensor with the ability to shoot uncropped 4K at 30 frames per second with dual pixel autofocus. Wow, with autofocus? Yeah, who would have thought? That's amazing. Um, but it does not have any type of IBIS, no stabilization on the sensor. So It's almost a blessing when it comes to Canon. 
Yeah, in a way. <laughs> in a way, it can be um, because the ibis can look a little warpy and wobbly. Yeah. So I was watching, um, when I was looking up these cameras, I watched a Peter McKinnon video on the R8, and that also doesn't have yeah. internal stabilization. And he even said in his video, he's like, honestly, this is kind of a blessing because Canon's internal uh, stabilization is crap. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised. Well, he may not have said crap, but yeah, <laughs> uh, that was essentially what he was saying. So I was like, oh, kind of interesting to hear Peter talk about it in that, in that light. But he's, so, yeah, he's being honest and it, it's not the best. So it is kind of nice that there isn't, you still have lens IS. So mm-hmm. if you pop a lens on it, which is pretty good, actually, the lens yeah. IS on these cameras are great. So it might be a better combo. Yeah, let's let's talk about the features of each camera, and then we can discuss our thoughts of each one. Sure. Um, let's start with the EOS R8. Okay. Um, it's fifteen hundred dollars for body only. It kind of resembles the shape and design of the Canon uh, RP. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually seen some of the reviewers, uh, Chris Nichols from DP Review TV, specifically said it feels as though it's literally the same body. So they may be using the same build uh, for the most part, just a new sensor. And that new sensor is the same 24.2 megapixel full frame sensor that is in the R6 Mark II, right. uh, which we you know speak so highly of. Yes. Um, but it is lacking the IBIS that that camera has. So it's a, you know, it's a sensor that's just sitting in there, which some cinematographers actually prefer because yeah. um, there are situations where you're mounting a camera on a car or on a really shaky uh, something or rather. And even if you th- your camera has IBIS and you turn it off, because the sensor is sort of floating on the springs that uh, move the IBIS around, when you're bouncing around on a car, it can really like shake the... It gives it, it like shakes vibration, the, yeah. Yeah, vibration, and the whole sensor starts really wobbling out of, out of whack, uh, which is why um, I believe the GH5S uh, ha- mm-hmm. had the uh, no... Um, uh, ibis because cinematographers requested it i think it was actually specifically top gear right mm-hmm. i think the they top, the top the... gear guys were using panasonic's mounted on cars they were using the gh5 they discovered that it was a issue i think they reached out and lumix as we know is really good about you know listening and, and incorporating yeah. features or in this case a lack of a feature that made <laughs> it even better for particular people giving yeah. us the gh5s which is a great camera and I, I do believe that Canon even themselves took that approach with the EOS R5C. Hmm. Um, I think they just kind of realized what we've been complaining about with Canon's IBIS. They're <laughs> obviously look at the specs of the R5C and it's like they're in a way even admitting like, look, we know like professional cinematographers do not want this, at least what we have mm-hmm. <laughs> in the camera it's not like a lumix system that's not as fine-tuned as that so they removed it from that camera so all that to say if the r6 is appealing to you and the one thing that's holding you back from buying it is like yeah i don't i don't really want ibis well this is cheaper and it doesn't have it i was gonna say or the price because um Mm -hmm. this is priced a little bit more it's the same price as the r yeah the original r 14.99 um it's got you know the same dual pixel autofocus performance as the R6 Mark II, mm-hmm. um, which means that you know it's it's sharing the same sensor and uh, or uh, processor. Sorry, the Digic X, I believe, which is the same processor that's found in the flagship uh, R3. Right. Um, it does Canon Log3, which you know we've shared our thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, live streaming. What is this? Oh, hold on. UAC compatibility allows the R8 to be used as a web camera to stream live without additional computer software, such as Zoom, okay, and Skype, yeah. and similar video conference. Thanks to the full-frame sensor, you'll have versatility. So that is the um, feature that I think your camera also has, which is mm-hmm. plug it in over USB-C, and you can use it. But for Atomos uh, multicam systems coming out of the HDMI, uh, you can't record and... Mm-mm. Which yeah, we've talked about. I mean, bit. honestly, the more I'm li- hearing about this camera, it really is just an R6 Mark II without IBIS. And for a video shooter, a primarily video shooter who's especially not using the EVF all that much, and especially somebody who maybe doesn't care about uh, IBIS, mm-hmm. this may be better. I mean, you're saving money. Um, right. It is a smaller battery, I believe. Oh, that's right. I was like, what? Why is it? Why is it so much cheaper? It is the smaller battery. So LPE seventeen. Yeah. Um. There's some there's some photography features here as well that 
uh, aren't present. Um, you know, you don't have a joystick. Mm. The EVF is significantly worse. Okay. But it does have the um, powered hot shoe. So you can you can plug in an XLR thing on top, the Tascam XLR thing. It doesn't look like it has a back control dial. Mm. Um, right? Doesn't that As look in, like that? Like check out where you... Um, that's No, not that one. There, one. one there. And there should be a third one down below where your thumb would be. Gotcha. Um, on the back of the camera. Yeah, it looks it, like it's no, just a directional D pad. Um, yeah, instead of a scr- uh, dial, which the dials are always better. Yeah, so I mean, there's some hardware differences. I would imagine it's not as weather sealed. You know, perf- it's it, th- that's the that's the whole point. Is this is kind of your prosumer mm-hmm. camera? Yeah, um, and like you just said earlier, this is. And by the way, too, it is a 4K 60. 10 bit internal with no crop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nice as well for that price that you're getting 4K 60 without a crop. Um, so you're getting that 6K to 4K down res, that really sharp, clean, beautiful 4K image that we do like on the R6. Mm-hmm. You know, the limitations that we know are there. It's, you know, the, the Canalog 3 and all that. Um, but it is what it is. Looks good. It'll match with the R6. So maybe if your R6 is your main primary camera and you just need a second camera, this could be a good option as a B because it will look the same and you're saving a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> RF mount, of course. Um, yeah. This is. I think they're not saying it. They're not calling this the EOS R Mark II. But I, I think this really fills that gap that was there with Canon's lineup, where the EOS R has been sitting on B and H and on Amazon for years and years and years now because it sits in that sweet spot of the $1,500 kind of like you you want a full frame camera that can do good video and it's full frame. You don't care about some of these fancy features. You just want a good all arounder. I think this is it. This is kind of like the MacBook air of Canon. (laughs) Yeah, actually that's a, that's a good way to put it. It definitely isn't still, I don't think the R Mark two, um, you know, even though we're saying it is kind of unofficially just because it is, it's just a different sensor. They don't, it's not the 30 megapixel sensor, whatever that one was close to that, um, with the EOS R. And I, I do think that that's a area that they still need to fill. I think a 30 megapixel sensor is kind of a nice sweet spot. You know what? You're right. I'm, I'm, I just pulled up uh, the EOS R on B&H and they're doing a savings now that still takes it down to more than I paid on some sort of random Christmas sale from three years ago. I remember you and I maybe both picked it mm-hmm. up at the same time. Yeah. B&H did a sale. I think it was 2019. 12, it was twelve ninety nine for like a Christmas sale. Yep. I've never seen it go that low ever since then. Uh, so there was something going on where they just they just blew them out. They must have had like a lot of extra stock for <laughs> so, no reason over Christmas. Yeah, so that's when I picked up an EOSR myself. Um but right now you can buy it for 13.99, which is absurd to me. This camera's so old and it still costs that much. This should be $1000. You can still buy a 5D Mark IV. Really? So, yeah, Brand new? Uh, I actually on Instagram got an advertisement. It was like the versatile 5D Mark IV, buy it now. Like from Canon, it was like a Canon advert. I was like, "Are you serious? You're still selling this thing? Like, new? <laughs> is that a thing? Am I confused?" That camera, that camera came out in 2016, and it's a DSLR that's using EF mount, which is a completely discontinued mount now. Yeah, um, yeah, I think you're right. The EOS R, you know, it had the LPE6 battery, it has a bit more heft to it in terms of body. Uh, it had the the top LCD screen, which none of the other Canons are doing that anymore. Yeah, uh, which probably because people don't care. I kind of miss it. But it's cool a little bit. Like I didn't think I looked at it until I got the R6 Mark II, <laughs> and then I realized it's not there. And I was like, oh, I guess I did look at that. There was something for some reason about this camera. It was quirky. It was a quirky camera. But there's something about it. I, I did really enjoy using it. I liked it a lot. The only thing... The, I didn't like the touch bar. I was going to say, the touch bar. It, they, they did away with the joystick, did the touch bar. Although, I guess you could say it's nice that it had anything at all because the R8 doesn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at the back panel. This one had the uh, D-pad too. I forgot yeah, about that. I forgot about that too. I didn't like that. So, the R6 has the... I feel like the R6 line is kind of the 5D of the mirrorless, it seems. It's like kind of the mid you know tier upper mid the r3 is your flagship at least for now apparently there's still rumors that there's going to be an r1 i think the r5 is more the 5d personally i wonder if that's also in terms of the naming r5 why 5d yeah true but the r5 is just such a higher megapixel than the 5d was never known as a high megapixel camera there was a high megapixel variant of the 5d there's a 5d r that was the um 
high megapixel version. So when because the R five is just was it is it fifty megapixels or sixty? It's forty five. Um, and the five D Mark four was thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the R six Mark two is twenty four. So it, I mean, I, I think we haven't really. Maybe they just decided with the mirrorless version of the five D. They're like, oh, why don't we just go with more megapixels? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who knows what Canon's doing? Canon just does what they want. That's true, because like. I guess you're right because the R5, 5, 5D, mm-hmm. R6, 6, 6D. The 6D, yeah. So maybe that's And it. then also the M50 and the R50. R50. Nice yeah. segue. Good segue. Nice segue. Oh, thank you. I thought you were going to play You Suck. <laughs> no. You Suck. Yeah. There it is. Um, so yeah, speaking of things that suck, the EOS R50. No, I'm just I, kidding. I'm sure it's great. So yeah, the Canon R50 which is the the camera that we've been that's been highly anticipated mm-hmm. by everyone everyone I mean well so here's the thing the M50 the original M50 I don't know about the Mark II I doubt the Mark II cuz that camera was stupid um it was like the most popular Canon camera of all time at least in recent time yeah um probably not of all time <laughs> but in recent in recent history anyways so obviously when the RF mount came out Everyone's like, okay, well, then obviously most popular camera recently, new mount, just makes a lot of sense. I'm actually surprised. I'm looking at the price here. It's $679 for Uh body only. That feels actually pretty affordable considering the fact that you are getting 4K up to 30, I believe. Mm -hmm. 4K 30 30 with autofocus, which is something the original M50 did not have in 4K. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which and, is a, by, by the way, it's just it was already stupid to begin with when it was out, right? Because Sony had many options that were a similar type of camera for a similar price point right. that had autofocus. But here's the thing about the Sony cameras is that they said Sony on the top, <laughs> and the Canon camera said Canon on the top. Therefore, for some reason, people wanted it more. Also, it came out during the time when, in my opinion, anyways, the Sony sensors weren't the greatest in terms of straight out of camera. Certain, yeah, colors. straight out of camera yeah. color, and I think they were mostly eight bit. Uh, yeah, they were all eight bit. Yeah. They were all eight bit, and it wasn't the best eight bit out there. So totally, Canon did kind of have a leg up in that time and it was the height of the casey neistat vlogging kind of era mm-hmm. so it was right time right place the m50 really fit that category of like a low budget vlogging camera mm-hmm. that's small lightweight easy to carry around uh, has a mic jack has a flip screen small little lenses it had a, it had everything you needed as a, a, a vlogger it was a phone replacement that's really yeah. what it was at the end of the day so they had to keep it sub grand because um you know people who are on phones are shooting with phones they're not gonna spend a ton of money and it had to look better than a phone those are like the two things that it needed to do and be small because it needs to fit in like a any school backpack or mm-hmm. something and it did all those things. It didn't have the best autofocus, but most of the people who are going to shoot with this were probably shooting 1080 instead of 4K. Yeah, and 1080 had no limitations with autofocus. Yeah, and it didn't crop in. Now 4K has become very much mainstream even in phones, so it makes sense that this one, that they're not holding back as much. So, But here's the thing. It is still a Canon camera, so what are they, what are they keeping? Yeah, there's a lot of photography features actually here that they're limiting. Okay. Um, obviously, again, you know, it's only 4K 30. We're not getting 10-bit. We're not getting 60 frames per second 4K. The thing that is interesting, though, about this is it's still it's using the same Digic X processor in all of the flagships right now, the R6 Mark II, the R8 that we just talked about, and, of course, the R3, which is their top end. So you're going to get amazing eye-tracking autofocus and all that. So you're getting the best from Canon in such a small little body. Mm-hmm. But there are limitations. I'm not seeing anything here about Canon Log or 10-bit, um, which is fine if you're just a YouTube vlogger or whatever anyways, or you're just filming your kids. I mean, chances are if you're buying this camera, you're editing an iMovie anyways. <laughs> so it's like, do you really need all those extra features? No. no. If you're coming from a phone, you're expecting it to work kind of similar to the phone. In fact, mm-hmm. I think this camera, and I was watching videos on it with... Um, uh, D, uh, DP review, I yeah. believe, and they were saying the same thing. If it's like made to work in auto, yeah, it's not really. It kind of fights you in manual. It doesn't want to work in manual. You can make it work in manual, but it doesn't like it. Well, but it's just like the M50, though. If you remember, there was very limited. There wasn't many buttons on that camera. No, uh, and I think this is essentially the same. You have like an ISO button that you could then 
also maybe customize if you wanted to, but that's it. Um, on the back, there's a little D-pad similar to the other one, so you could probably add things there, and you may or may not figure out the muscle memory of how to do that, but if you want real tactile buttons, you know, the R8 has it, um, but if you're if the R8, the $1,500 camera is too much out of your price bracket, there's the R10, which um, is kind of like a, a level up from this, and it stays in that like $1,000 category, but right. there's, no, there's really nothing... I think even from both camps, uh, Sony and Canon, in this price point, that's giving this kind of balance of a small, lightweight, easy to travel, easy to carry, everyday carry type camera with adequate 4K with you know top top of the line autofocus. I mean, except for maybe well, top of the line autofocus for sure. But I was going to say maybe the not that the XT30 mm-hmm. was kind of a competitor to that. I think it was like seven hundred bucks. Same, sure. same price or maybe a little more, but definitely not good autofocus. And Fuji hasn't followed that up with another one. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think there was a T40. And as much as we love Fuji, I think you just got to admit the truth of the matter is like Fuji is a niche, uh, brand. Oh, hundred like, percent. You're not going to like your mom or my mom would maybe carry one of these because mm-hmm. it, you would see it at Walmart or Costco and be like, Oh yeah. you know, I need a nicer camera than my phone. And you buy this, you're not going to buy a Fuji, Except I think you bought your mom a Fuji, didn't I you? I did, yeah, <laughs> I did. Although now that I see this, like, I could probably help her sell that camera and help her buy this one instead because this would be a better tool for her. It just would be. That's the thing with Canon that you can't really argue with is their user interface for beginners is so easy and straightforward. Mm-hmm. It just works. And the touchscreen works exactly how you think it would. Yeah. You touch it and it does. I, w- I think I was a little biased when I purchased that, helped my mom purchase rather that camera because I was like, well, I mean... Like, I like Fujifilm, and this is a cool Fujifilm camera, and she'll like it. Uh, but that's the thing is, like, I understood how to use it, but she did not care to learn how to use it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's too many buttons, too many options, even yeah. though it was a more beginner camera. <laughs> I think the R50 does have that uh, beginner menu system that the M50 had, where yeah. it's just everything was super simple, yeah, super dumbed down. So it's like, I don't need to spend time to learn this. That's what they're going for. But what DP review again, Chris Nichols, we keep bringing this up and we'll link it in the show notes of the podcast. And if you're not familiar with what show notes are, um, it's basically just the description of the podcast. Feel free to look up, you know, show notes and then type, you know, how to read show notes in whatever podcast player you use. Um, but anyways, DP review, Chris Nichols basically said, this really is not really a gateway for somebody who wants to eventually upgrade and wants to take photography seriously. This really is at least in his perspective, like kind of the perfect non-phone camera that mm-hmm. kind of, it does have these computational photography modes built in, but once you want to start shooting raw, it gets really slow because it's a UHS one speed only memory card. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems to write to the card very slowly. It's hard to adjust things manually. It's just kind of cramped and they don't have all the buttons laid out there. It only has one dial. It's that yeah. top shutter dial. But again, I I would argue that that's, exactly how the m50 was too Mm, yeah um and we made it work i mean you took it to germany and we vlogged with it and i liked it it was Um, fun yeah if you just embrace the quirks of it it's so tiny that uh it'll be fun even as a professional just kind of have it to hang out with and take pictures of your kids and maybe use as a dedicated very lightweight vlog style camera um are you going to be shooting a movie on it? No, you shouldn't. But well, will we? Yes, because it'll be cool video. <laughs> yeah, that might be a fun video. Yeah, we'll, we'll somehow attach Master Primes to it. Um, but I think this also is a response to the wildly popular um, ZV-1 and mm-hmm. ZV-E10 from Sony in particular. The ZV-E10 is in this price bracket, and it's an APS-C the camera. The ZV-E10 is a lot more, isn't it? Let me see. So the ZV-E10 from Sony is an APS-C no, it's not. camera that's small and doesn't have IBIS. It has a flip screen, a mic jack and everything. So I think the question is, you know, if you're, if you're in the $700 price bracket, you're looking for a camera to use for YouTube, maybe a vlogger or uh, maybe even a B cam, um, which one do you get? And the thing that is the case with this Sony ZV-E10 is the case with almost all of Sony's cameras. If you buy a Sony camera, you're getting all of the profiles. So yeah. this camera does have 
S-Log, you know, if you need it. Um, I mean, if you're buying it for a B camera, the obvious thing is buy the system that you have. But yes. if you're just buying it to be a vlog camera, Sony's kicking butt with this camera. I mean, it's a it's a pretty spicy, cheap camera. Yeah, so... But it doesn't have an EVF, whereas the EOS R50 has it does have an EVF. So if that's important to you, maybe you're taking more photos, that would make more sense. Um, I would say maybe we should do a comparison with, between the two. Uh, that could be something I could talk to Soundstripe about. Yeah. Um, because I think these are very comparable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think Sony probably has an edge in terms of video quality and, and the features that it has. Um, I have some friends that run their entire YouTube channel off of two of these ZVE 10s. Mm-hmm. They're totally powerful enough to be your main camera, uh, even for YouTube. And it does have a dial on it. Um, yeah. And an FM button, but Canon's UI will probably be much easier to use well, and simpler to use. Actually. I mean, another thing though, cause again, these are being priced for a audience that is beginning and potentially doesn't have as much income to spend on yeah. these things. The thing about the RF mount, as we know, is that third-party lenses is kind of a non-existent thing. Yeah. Third-party lenses tend to be cheaper. The Sony camera obviously has the E-mount. Tons of third-party options that are actually amazing. Yes. So that would be another leg up for the Sony over the Canon. It's just third-party support. Absolutely. You're right. You bring up a good point because Sigma uh, makes a wonderful uh, was it a trio of uh, APS-C lenses a, uh, that my friend has with that camera. It's $1,200 for the full kit. A 16, a 30, and a 56, all constant F1.4 lenses. Mm-hmm. These are wonderful tiny little primes that you can upgrade to even with a cheap camera and get beautiful results. And nothing like this exists on RF. Not at all. And the thing about this too is like, oh, you're you're spending more money, twice as much money on lenses that you would spend on the camera body. Seems a little weird, but what's great about lenses, especially if you stay in a system, is that they grow with you. So, like, these lenses would still be great if you bought a different Sony camera. Yeah, like, if you were to upgrade and you're primarily a video shooter, you start with the ZV-E10, you buy these lenses, you can go to the, was it the FX30? The FX30, yeah. It's basically an FX3, but a crop sensor version. Mm -hmm. So, these lens could carry through uh, into a very professional tool that is, you know, doesn't have shutter angle or waveforms. But hey, it's great. Well, the FX30, (laughs) for what it is, is it looks actually like a pretty good camera. I I never, I've never gotten to mess with it, I don't think, but it looks great. Patrick Tommaso uses it as his primary tool, and he kind of swears by it. He loves it. even I think for, he likes it more than the FX3, I think, because of lenses and, and other things. But um, yeah, let us know what you guys think about the R50. I think it is interesting, though. Um, this will now be, my even with the ZVE10 being around and with these lens options, I, if somebody were to ask me, hey, I'm starting a YouTube channel, what camera do I get? It, it would be a hard toss-up between these two because... I know if you're a complete beginner and you have zero interest in growing, you just want a good image that looks like it's shot on some sort of, you know, SLR of some sort or, uh, you know, mirrorless camera with some bokeh. And SLR, that, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like a lens that has bokeh that doesn't look like an iPhone. Right. Um, this will look really good straight out of camera. And with the kit lens, the 18 to 45, it's 799. So, and it's very small. Um, now that is an F4 to F63, which is pretty terrible. Um, so it's hard to recommend. <laughs> it's actually really bad. It's hard to recommend a cropped body camera with an F4.5 <laughs> lens on it. Um, That's going to look worse than your phone. In, a, in some ways, in yeah. Some unless ways. you have good light. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, Canon's problem is the lenses. They need some RF. I think they're calling this RFS. So things that have the RF mount but are designed for APS-C, they need some better something similar to this, like a sixteen one four. They just need to. They just need to be less greedy. Open up the the mount to third mm-hmm. party people. Like it doesn't make. I've never. They, they haven't done this before, have they? Like <laughs> no. this feels weird. I know the EF system. There was. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the Sigma eighteen to thirty five was the EF lens. It was right. very popular. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the solution. I guess if you buy the R50, you could buy an 18 to 35 and put a RF to EF adapter on it. <laughs> but I mean, that's what I did with the M50. I got an M to EF adapter and then I threw, I think it was a 24 to 70 on it and it worked pretty well. Um, 
you can also use the turbo turbo booster or the uh, the speed booster for metabones or canon's own one that i use on my c70 on here mm-hmm. but at that point you know it's a cheap camera and you're putting a thousand dollars worth of optics on front in front of it people aren't going to do that who are buying this camera probably yeah so with that being said because of the lens options for the zve 10 being so much better uh which means in turn that you're going to get a better image quality i still i think um, until canon solves their their lens issues um, see, even their kit lens is a wide open at three five instead of four five. That doesn't sound like much of a difference, but three five to four five is a significant That's difference. That's pretty good. But that kit lens, you know, still is pretty trash. But there's options. There's so many more options on Sony. Right. Yeah. I think having not used the R fifty, so you know, with that caveat, true. I would recommend the Sony over the Canon. <laughs> I do think, as I look at this image, I mean, and just knowing Canon's build. I mean, I'm sure this is going to be, be feel very plasticky and small, mm-hmm. but it does look a little bit more put together in terms of hardware. You know, you got the nice rubber, you got the the mic jack in a nice place, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it'll last. You know, a decent a amount decent amount. We're I'm probably going to get a hold of one because I, I am interested in it, and uh, because it's right in line with an M50. Um, and Canon is, you know, basically this, I think, signals the fact that the M mount is officially over um, because this would have been an M50 replacement, but it's using an RF mount mm-hmm. now. So, you know, all the manufacturers are doing this now and it's because Sony is so smart and they basically designed a system where one mount can work for a crop sensor or a full frame sensor. I think it was use the same lenses. It was retroactively made for full frame though, right? Because wasn't the E mount for crop originally? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they made they made it work. I heard that there's um, you probably you actually did we talk about it on the podcast? But there's some limitations because of that with Sony, although they've yeah, they're clearly mount- able to work around it because their stuff's still great. Yeah, there there's pros and cons to it, but yeah, because the they designed it for APS-C the the circle of the mount is very small compared to RF or or the Z mount from Nikon or the Leica mount. Um, by having a larger mount, you can have more room for the IBIS to move around. You can have you know in some ways better optics. But Sony's been able to make it work, and because it's so small, they have tiny little lenses on a full frame body, which is really nice too. So right. there's pros and cons to both. But their workaround is that I think they've kind of reach their limit of IBIS performance at this point because otherwise they just can't move it around without the sensor mount getting in the way of the sensor moving. Mm-hmm. So that's why they have the catalyst browse system where if you just need even much more stabilization for video, you can do that in post. I wonder if we'll hit a point where that comes back to bite them because I was always curious. It's like, oh, Sony hasn't made their new mount yet, but it, clearly they're just sticking with what they got. Yeah. And who knows? I don't know. It just, yeah. it could in the next couple of years, stabilization gets a lot better on other cameras, maybe, and they can't keep up or maybe they hit the upper limit already. And we're yeah, done. I don't know. The G master lenses that they keep putting out are look incredible and they seem mm-hmm. amazing and they're small and compact. And so heavy they're, though. they're doing a good job. Yeah. yeah. They're hefty. They're expensive. Yeah. So a lot of things to talk about with it, but if you're in the Canon uh, ecosystem, this is sort of interesting. I don't even know if many people on this podcast would be interested in this, but I think it's an interesting thing to talk about and to uh, yeah. philosophize. Philosoph- what's the word? Discuss. Discuss. Philosophize. Yeah, that's philosophize. Yeah, that's a, that's a real <laughs> word, probably. I, I, I think if you have the M50, this could, and you like that camera, and you want to upgrade, question mark, this could be a, a good new thing to upgrade to that won't break the bank yeah so for our last segment (laughs) i'm gonna share some nintendo news how appropriate this music so um nintendo did their traditional nintendo direct uh announcement this week and uh if you didn't watch this um this is a really fun nerdy thing for me right um growing up as a children of the of, of a child of the 90s myself um, the main Nintendo product that I used was actually the Game Boy Color. Yeah. Um, and check this out. The Nintendo Switch has now started offering the original Game Boy. Games are being added to Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah. So they're including the original Zelda game on Game Boy, 
Tetris, which I'm very excited about. Look at yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, dude, compared to Tetris, to the Tetris that you're playing, where it's like way better. This is great. <laughs> no, it is. It is great because of the simplicity of it. Um, no, obviously, this is really like nerdy stuff. But um, if you're watching the video, you can kind of see what they're doing. But they even have emula- emulation where you can see what the colors would look like on the original Game Boy, the big, thick, chunky one. Mm-hmm. You guys remember the original Game Boy? was huge and it was black and white only and it had this kind of they call it the pea green yeah. <laughs> color uh that looks terrible but it's nostalgic for a lot of us um they showed a lot of the games that they're allowing you to play uh this is with nintendo subscription um service nintendo uh online nintendo switch online uh you pay a yearly fee and uh you can play Right now, they've they've had NES games, Super Nintendo games, N64 games, and people have been waiting for Game Boy games because obviously the Switch is a portable system, mm-hmm. and these games were designed for portable play, and there is something to that. There's something to the fact that these games were designed to be simple, to just play on the bus, or just turn it on, play a couple levels, turn it off, like in passing. They're very simple and easy to, to understand, and uh, I think make sense to put on the switch because the switch is a portable system um you can play online with some of the games you know which probably won't happen um they're going to add the pokemon trading card game uh in terms of game boy wow but where are the pokemon games uh dude they ain't releasing those those are too valuable uh, i wonder how what game freak uh the developer for pokemon and nintendo's deal is behind yeah. the scenes because because it is uh, owned by nintendo but it feels like game freak can do whatever they want yeah um <laughs> well we're speaking here to connor mccaskill who has purchased even every i think you've you own every pokemon game on switch mm, right on the switch uh i i own the newest one which was all right at best i mean here's the deal at the end of the day these are all kids games <laughs> And I'm playing them at a pure nostalgia. Yeah. So I'm coming. Yeah, they're trash games. Honestly, they're terrible. But I still, for some reason, play them because I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Um, to be honest, I feel like the original Pokemon uh, Game Boy games were actually as simple and kind of almost boring now as they are. Just the story and the the whole collection process and the building your your system up and you know battling the trainers and stuff. It was really well made. It was like the purest form of... I mean, they've been replicating that same model all the way through even the modern stuff. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty incredible that they have changed as little as they have over the last 20, 30, 25 years? 26 years? <laughs> Just the graphics years. change, but the mechanics are essentially the same. Arguably, they've gotten worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Um, I don't know. I think the last good Pokemon games probably were the DS era, in my opinion, but that's just me. So, you know... We didn't get any news that those games are coming, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised really if they sold it, you know, as a standalone Game Freak, you know, remaster. Yeah, they. I think that what they saw is like we could sell Pokemon Yellow again yeah. on the Switch as a separate purchase for thirty dollars. Yeah, you know, and make like a full price instead of including it in the subscription where you know you're playing these games which maybe didn't have as much of a popular following. Yeah, but then. Um, after they announced the Game Boy games, they followed it up with um, another system that they're adding. Oh yeah, the Game Boy Advanced. Remember that sound? Of course I do. Um, so yeah, so this is for the expansion pack, which is, <laughs> they call it Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack. Mm, great The naming. naming of that is hilarious. It's an online service. You just It's just a subscription. It's not a pack. It's not a... It's not a thing you add to something physically. It sounds like they uh, learned how to name things from Xbox. But they're including uh, Wario, <laughs> the, uh, what's it called? WarioWare. Wario yeah. I remember my friend had this game and it was so much fun on the Game Boy Advance. Um, I've seen videos of this video, uh, of this Kuro Kuro Kurin. It's an interesting game. If you want to play Mario Kart on GBA instead of Mario Kart 8, which is superior on Switch. In every single way. In every single way. Um I, I like the Mario and Luigi games. They're Mario and Luigi Superstar Sega or Saga. Super Sega. <laughs> Super Wrong. Sega. Uh, and then Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap, one of my uh, favorites. Yeah, nice. I played that. I tried to emulate this game on my Mac and I started playing it for like I don't know, an hour maybe at most. Oh, really? And then I, I kind of I fell off on that Last one. Last night? 
No, no, no. I, I, okay, because I, I told you about it last night. <laughs> yeah, a while ago, actually. It, it gotcha. came back to me seeing the visuals. I was like, no, actually, I do recognize that. I, um, we're also going to get Metroid Fusion, which is actually, I think, arguably one of the best GBA games, uh, some people say. Metroid yeah. Fusion is really good, so that's awesome. Um, and some more, but, you know, it. What the reason I like this and I wanted to share it is because... Again, I, I feel like Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games uh, are just really special to me from a nostalgic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that for me personally, because of course we lived in an era without phones and without anything like that, uh, the Game Boy was probably the system I used the most actually for myself. That makes sense. Um, it was just anytime we'd go anywhere, you know, as a family sitting in the back playing my Game Boy. So mm-hmm. go to go to church, go to restaurants, you know, travel down to florida for like a 10-hour trip I was on my game boy the whole time playing pokemon playing um pokemon <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing pokemon i had the um i didn't have the game boy or the i don't think i had the game boy advanced either i knew people who had it but i had the clamshell the sp oh cool yeah that was i think my first game boy i had the silver one and nice. that one was a lot of fun and i played a lot of sonic that was a big deal when that came, when that came out because of the backlit screen. Yeah, it was cool. I, I liked it a lot. Um, and then eventually, of course, got the DS, which I think is probably my favorite handheld system. The the big thick one. Yeah, the thick one, the original <laughs> one. It looked I, it looked like a prototype that yeah. they sold to the public because when they came out with the DS Lite, it was kind of like, oh, that's what it should look like. But, yeah, but I honestly, but I like the chunky big one. Yeah, I did too. I didn't think, I thought that the, my brother had the DS Lite and I had the DS and I was like, DS is better. Yeah, it's, even though the screen was inferior. It was, it was worse compared. in pretty much every way, but I thought it was better. One thing that I, I like about these, um, you know, expansion packs or whatever, first off, the legalities of it, fully legal. You know, you're not downloading ROMs, which is a gray area. Um, mm-hmm. You can't buy these games new, really. Um, and if you owned them in the past, does that qualify as like, well, I, I paid money for it when I was a kid. I just, I've lost it along the way of my life. Or maybe you even own it still and you just don't want to plug it into your game boy this is your own moral compass thing download the rom and put it on your computer and play it um very easily the if you're not familiar with roms it's a whole world that you can get into and the the morality and the legalities of it are it's a total gray area um but i don't believe people are going to jail or really getting punished for it except for people who are making money off of it what are you in for (laughs) downloaded mario and luigi bowser's inside story illegally (laughs) oh man yeah rough time yeah i mean nintendo of course openly says do not do it it's illegal um because it's their ip they want to control it and they do have these services so if you're if you're playing um i feel like this service is probably a direct result of roms being so popular because people still want to play this stuff and you're right it's like older consoles are i mean like i got a gamecube right behind camera you can't see it Mm -hmm. um but uh, it's broken (laughs) (laughs) i can't it won't accept um controller inputs right now so i can't play any of my gamecube games so like uh, the ability to play them on roms is kind of cool yeah but uh, I don't think they have GameCube games yet, yet. on the Switch. That's, That'll be that's next. That's a system that is missing yeah. on uh, on the Nintendo Switch service. I'd um, probably be more excited for that than for this. Yeah. Even that was though, your system that you grew up on. Yeah, I grew up on the GameCube. Yeah, you're, for those of you who may or may not know, Connor is actually a little younger than me. So yeah, just a little bit. He, he, did, he may not look it with that beard, but yeah. um, but he is, he is uh, about four, five years, six, seven. Seven years younger okay. than you, I yeah. think. Dang. You're younger than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Most people Um, think I'm old. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for me, it was the PlayStation 1, Nintendo 64 were the consoles of my era. Right. What are your thoughts now as a, as an adult with the Switch? Do you even do you play it that often? Or no, not really. Just when a new Pokemon game, game comes out? Yeah, sometimes. I, I'll get the new Breath of the Wild game when that comes out because that was pretty cool. And then I'll get the... Uh, which they did announce. They announced that. Or they also it's announced, been announced, but... They also announced a remaster of Metroid Prime, which I've never played, but is... I played it. Apparently, uh, I think, again, one of the best Metroid games. It was on a Wii. It was on the Originally, GameCube. right? Oh, okay, GameCube. Yeah, it was a GameCube game. 
Very cool. So this is really cool. You can actually buy this now. It's available right now. Oh, that's cool. Digitally. And I remember ship, um, in a week or two. I remember playing Metroid Prime on my GameCube. And I, I actually, I think I still own it. I could probably find it. Oh, cool. Um, but um, I also remember being a kid and was terrible and couldn't <laughs> beat it. I think I couldn't beat like the first few levels and I gave up on it. So... It's weird that they haven't continued this model of it's basically it's like maybe a bit of a halo kind of a vibe yeah, like first person shooter it's a first person shooter very spacey and um Metroid doesn't seem to have that design right now anymore and I think that's what was so special about it was that it was a, a first person shooter they with Metroid right announced a new one years ago and then they delayed it, and then they've never said anything about it since. So I don't know what happened with that. Um, well, I mean, here's this. This is cool. This um, is cool. I don't know if I'd want to spend $50 on just a remaster of a GameCube game. Mm, but nah, I'd rather spend 50 bucks, fix my GameCube, and then play it there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did, you know, you, you mentioned Zelda. Um, they did share a, a new teaser trailer for the, uh, you know, the the next version of that same game yeah so i guess you would call it a sequel to it is a sequel uh, yeah it's Ocar- um, or what's it called Ocarina, Ocarina of time? time no what breath, of the wild. breath of the wild yeah is it called breath of the wild 2 or i don't think so no it's called legend of zelda tears of the kingdom so if, if you're a fan of that and i've tried so hard to get into this game it's hard for me to get into these very open world games for some reason it's a game to get lost in and to spend some time in and if you don't I mean, I've heard from you directly. You'd prefer the games where you can turn it on, play a little bit, and then leave. Yeah, that's why I love Tetris, because I can just listen to a podcast, mindlessly play for like 30 minutes, and then turn it off. Right. Yeah, that's not what this is for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, though, I did see the Harry Potter uh, game that came out, and my wife is a, the biggest Harry Potter fan. So I I think maybe as a husband, I'm like, oh, this could be fun for her to play it, and then we could play it together. Sure. Like, I can see that as a fun yeah, experience. I think that that would be a great idea. But um, but yeah, this does look very nice. And the thing that blows my mind is like we we see the gameplay from this, and and obviously even the original Legend of Zelda game, um, the graphics are really special for a Switch, which is a very underpowered system. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of like leaning into the art style, which makes it kind of a lower polygon type of art style, which kind of has like a cartoony look. So they're sort of leaning into the limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it was a, it was a smart choice. I mean, it's something that, and that's one of the things that Pokemon did not do. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was trying to say is like, look how beautiful this game is. Yeah. Why can't Pokemon Arceus look like that? Or, well, Arceus even arguably looks better than the newest game. I, it's funny because I, mean, I don't know how many people care about this, but I'm going to talk <laughs> about it. Um, I was playing the Violet game, which I got in Japan. That's why I own that's it. cool. I wasn't going to buy it, but then I saw it when we were in Japan and I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool so i bought it but um there's this one point right in the beginning of the game where it's the person like you're on top of a lighthouse and the character's like wow look at this amazing view and it pans to the view and the view is like 2d cutouts of trees <laughs> low poly it looks terrible and huh. they just did that and then you, they like cut to like different angles of this terrible looking environment and i'm like wow uh, i feel like this game is not finished <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the unfortunately the pokemon company that makes those games they just kind of crank them out and they don't really put the time like i know that it seems as though nintendo has been working on this for a very long time yeah zelda game i feel like the zelda team definitely i mean they know i think that what they figured out is this zelda knows that if they don't produce the absolute optimal quality Mm -hmm. um their game's gonna get trashed pokemon can do whatever they want yeah and it'll sell like crazy it'll sell like crazy so they can release an absolute dumpster fire of a game and people are like well it has new pokemon that's pretty cool and you know what they're not wrong they should just go back to um i think 2d animated sprites i think that was the best era of pokemon which is why it would be wonderful if we could buy a modern version, you know, or a reimagining of a GBA title from Pokemon or like a, the, yeah. the original Yellow. There Yellow are, was my favorite game. There are people who have made completely original games in the older styles. Oh, cool. Um, I've never done it. I've never played them, but I hear they're pretty good. Cool. Well, if you're listening by this point and you're a fan of Pokemon, Nintendo, Please let us know in the comments. Uh, tell us your favorite games. If yeah. you have any comments about what we had to say there. Which one is your favorite Pokemon game? 
And yeah, I just want to end on, again, uh, asking you guys to please, if you're a fan of the show, uh, give us a rating and review in the Apple Podcast player, if you're an Mm -hmm. Apple Podcast listener. And if you are a listener on Spotify, go ahead and leave a review there. If you can, I think you can leave like a rating there as well. And a reminder, too, that um, if you're listening and you don't know this already, we do include chapter markers in the podcast. So if you use Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or other podcast players that support chapters, you can hop hop around and, and... you know, go to the point that you want to go to or go back. And then for Spotify, they don't support traditional chapter markers. So I have to put it in the description as a time code. So go to the description in Spotify and you can see inside of little quotation marks or inside of uh, parentheses rather uh, is the time code and you can skip around right there. So also, if you would like to sponsor the show, please reach out to us at ghp.fm slash contact. We're looking for sponsors and partners to be a part of this show. We'd love to continue to grow it, make mm-hmm. the production better. Um, and, you know, can't do that for free. So we yeah, would, apparently all this stuff costs money. Yeah. So we would love any type of partnership. If you would be interested, please reach out. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it on with some fun Nintendo news and then some housekeeping. So yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good show, Connor. Thanks, Dave. Uh, (laughs) Should we end it like we normally do? Once again, I'm Connor McCaskill. And I'm David Altizer, and we will see you... Next week. There's the music. Oh, next week. (laughs) Yeah, next week. We'll fade it out. Bye-bye. There you go.